Thank you for downloading this bonus episode of Discussing Documentaries today with myself, Matt Wills, and everyone's favourite Geordie who wasn't a professional footballer, Rick Wharton. The pair of us are honoured to be joined by journalists, pinball fan, TED talker, all-round nice patient geezer and filmmaker, Mr. Seth Porges, who co-directed Class Action Park. Now, this follows on from episode 49 of Discussing Documentaries, Class Action Park, which I absolutely loved. So, without further ado, I give you Mr. Seth Porges and Rick. So, first of all, Seth, I just wanted to start. Um, I'm going to throw my, my esteemed colleague under the bus here. So, sorry that it took us so long to get back to you on Twitter. No no, we are terrible on social media. Rick, why don't you pick this one up? <laughs> uh, that was the shock of the month. So I got told about a week ago that you'd sent us a nice message. I was like, that is amazing. And he said you'd like to do a show. Then two days later, after me boasting about that, Matt goes, yeah, that was a month ago. We haven't got back to Unbelievable. No, I can't tell you guys how much fun I had listening to your episode about Class Action Park. It was it was like seeing something with fresh eyes, just like the the uncontrollable laughter brought brought warmth to my heart. So thank you so much. Oh, cool. Because it is um it is hands down. So on, as I put in my tweet, that is the funniest documentary I've ever watched. And I was thinking about um other funny things i've watched the only time i've laughed that much when i've watched something was when i watched as a, in 1983 i watched delirious with eddie murphy and then in 2000 and i think it was 12 i watched the bitter buddha with eddie peppertone and i you ticked the you ticked that tickle button on me and i just couldn't stop laughing but on the other on the other side of it Man, that was a miserable documentary. Yeah. I mean, it was incredibly sad. And I think that's why it was so funny, because you got the balance between, you know, the, the sadness of the entire place, coupled with, as you said, that the nostalgia of, oh, is it all great? No, it weren't. People died. It was really horrible. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we wanted. That That's very much what we what we wanted to do was because I think if we had just gone on to this project and treat it like a news program where like the sobering truth is there from the beginning and it's very sad and very tragic it wouldn't have been as impactful and it wouldn't have been about anything except these events that were there Hmm. but by um kind of building up the myth of action park i think it allowed us to sort of show the uh the dirty truth underneath it with much with much more power and also because you know, it is funny. Like you can't deny okay. that this that this is a hilarious place. It's super absurd that any of this actually happened. I think what becomes apparent as you watch the movie, especially as you get to the end, is that all of these people who are looking back and laughing at, they're not laughing at necessarily because they think it's a joke. They're laughing about it because it's the kind of laughter that occurs when your brain just short circuits and there's no other response, right? And to yes. some degree, it's a defense mechanism. And I, and I think you have to acknowledge that's how we as humans sort of cope with tragedy often or or dark yeah. things is, is laughter and 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 not make people feel bad about that like you have a right to laugh about things that are truly messed up i think that comes across i literally just rewatched it again today so to go back and rewatch a documentary in such a short space of time it still held up for me <laughs> i appreciate and that I'm, and I'm not just saying that but uh, from a from a like a narrative point of view it's literally like for me it was like almost on the hour mark is where it, like it skids yes. to a halt of being like, you know, the sketch show of how wild the 80s were to, and here's the consequence. Yeah, and I'll say even, you know, I've seen the movie a thousand times because as we edited and we we worked on it, you watch, you watch these movies again and again and again. And up until the, the you know, the first hour or so, uh, it never got old to me. And I don't say that from a place of like a, somebody admiring his own work because that humor isn't mine. It's what our contributors had. It's what they brought yeah. to the table. And so I feel like I can say, that stuff's hilarious. Those people are genius and not really uh, bask in my own in my own work. I was just blown away by what a lot of those people brought to the table and, and what they what they said to us. Uh, I mean, to this day, I'm like, that is some amazing insight and funny stuff people said. 
Oh, and uh, and the disposition of those uh, contributors, like um, the park staff, look like sitcom characters themselves. Yes. Even <laughs> well, it's I mean, to kind of lean in the cliche here, New Jersey is a character. Like the people who are from New Jersey, it's not just about this park. It's about what it's like to grow up in this time and in this place, and what happens to these people. You know, one of the things I found so interesting was spending some time in Vernon spending some time uh, talking to people who grew up going to or working at this park who experienced deep trauma, you know, who saw some really messed up stuff is really, I became very interested in like, what does that do to these people? What are they like now, a couple decades later? And you realize like these people, they're they're a hardy bunch. They uh, have a very kind of like gallows, dark sense of humor, but they're kind of a joy to be around because if you can survive like a childhood at Action Park, nothing else is ever going to bother you <laughs> as you grow up, nothing else. There is about six elements that could like we've since doing this podcast we've watched about four documentaries a week. Sure. So the the scope of what I appreciate of what you cover in this because just the the child labor laws that's flaunted within yes, this yes. and how the staff are running wild at that young age could in itself just be an hour long thing with consequences. Yes. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we could have like pulled out. I mean, that's an episode, that's an episode, that's an episode. Let's, let's stretch this thing out. But I really love the idea of, you know, we made it a brief documentary. It wasn't like a six part series or 10 part series. It's a, it's a tight 90 minutes. And I think it really benefits from that because people are watching it again and again, you know, they're able to watch it and then share it with their partner, share it with their friend and not feel like they're got to sit down for mm -hmm. six straight hours. And it becomes this enclosed experience in the same way you know, uh, people have like written me and said like, I've watched, it's like it's Star Wars where they're counting how many times they've seen it. Like I've seen it 34 times. I'm like, really? Thank you. That's, that's awesome. Cause it kind of feels like this movie, I mean, it was, we self-produced the film before we were lucky enough to find, you know, a home in, in the United States, HBO Max, end up in Sky in, in the UK. Uh, and it really feels like our basement album we recorded with our band kind of like picked up by a major label. Uh, so it's really, really cool to see that. I think we touched the nerve with people. And I think the the it, the kind of DIY nature of the film, I think, gives it some heart. I think it kind of like shows through. It doesn't feel overly polished. I think that's really important for this movie because, you know, a lot of it's just old home movies and like party clips and stuff. And you, and you want it to kind of feel still in that same vein and that same, you know, I found it initially on the back of uh, just flicking through YouTube and I saw an advert for, um, I think it might have been the first, because you did a 15 minute film, didn't you, back in 2013. Yes. And I think I saw that yes. about a year or, it must have been a, it must have been a year, year and a half ago at least. And I went, that's going to be awesome. Let me see more of that. <laughs> and when I, when it popped up on my Sky feed, I think we recorded it about three days later. Um, and yeah. it, because our tastes yeah. are so different, Rick really doesn't like my choices because I'm very upbeat and I want a, like, have you seen a documentary called the Barkley Marathons? No, it sounds right, like I should it's, it's all, Allow me to save you some time there, sir, if you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, it sounds like I should But it's about this insane, crazy race uh, in America. And I just, I found it so uplifting. And Rick hates stuff like that. So when I suggested this, his face just dropped. And then after he saw it, he went, yeah, okay, you've you've redeemed yourself in yeah. my eyes. <laughs> I'm just, just cause it was just, because it touched every single thing I think you need in a documentary. You know, from the, the misery to the happiness to the, and it was like you said, it was a tight 90 minutes. Yeah. And it really, it was to us, it was about, you know, we, it's, it's so interesting. The thing that people talk about the most in our movie is the uh, kind of rather stark tonal shift that occurs, you know, two thirds yeah. of the way through the film where it goes being very upbeat and funny and fun to, to very dark and it happens very quickly. And to us, you know, people like it's, it's interesting kind of reading or hearing people's responses because uh, some people aren't a big fan of, of of that. Some people really do like it, but I think it, it 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 hits people hard. And I think a lot of people kind of go into this movie uh, wanting it just to be kind of like a comedy. And we don't really want to let people get off too easy. The kind of what we wanted to do is make it, make people laugh, make this absurdity very apparent but then make people kind of question what yes. they were laughing yeah, about yeah. and make them feel bad about what they were, their own laughter. And to us, that was really the feeling I wanted to kind of get because Action Park, 
uh, for people who are familiar with it before our film came out, had become this kind of like urban myth, this, this joke almost, right? And we want it, and, and it's a joke because it's funny, but we wanted people to say like, okay, if you're going to laugh about this, you kind of know what you're yeah. actually laughing about. But first we wanted to make you laugh. Yeah. I and think uh, one of the things was the editing on it. Because when, when a documentary doesn't have too much, now I didn't realize you were even in it, sorry, until I rewatched it today. And obviously <laughs> when you were, yeah, yeah. Uh, as little as uh, possible. Uh, I wish I was. You can tell there's been a year in lockdown between the difference of how he looks <laughs> doing this video now. So. Yeah, right now. But I've got a little, a little uh, uh, locked in yeah. hermit beard going yeah, yeah. on right we're now. We're cool yeah. keeping this audio. We look like that normally, even if we were successful. So, sure. so um, but it's like when, when you don't have a lot of the um, footage of the things you're talking. So you have footage of the rides and how crazy they look, but you don't have the accent. I think the way you've used the animation to keep it along yeah. and yeah. almost um, dehumanize it, not just dehumanize it, but it keeps it a lot lighter. No, to create, create emotional distance is what it is. I mean, it's exactly right. Like. Uh, the, the purpose, the animations were were fun, um, but they were very they were very deliberate in what we used them for, and that was to not just show things we didn't have footage of, because a lot of what we show with the animation were things we did have footage of, but to really bring people into you know these these animations were modeled after Saturday morning mm -hmm. cartoons. Yes, I don't know what they call them in the UK, but uh, things like Schoolhouse Rock, even Sesame Street, uh, and just for like the and, and so people were like those animations were really poorly done was one of the criticisms. I'm like, have you ever watched a Saturday morning cartoon? <laughs> it's just like yeah. mistakes. Our animator actually intentionally created like uh, mistakes to kind of like bring you to, to make it feel authentic and to make it feel real. Like you're just turning on the TV as a nine-year-old in the 80s and kind of seeing what's on there. And also, yes, to create this emotional space so that it so that you had almost permission to laugh at it because it wasn't fully real. And then the minute the deaths are introduced into the film, that's when the animation yeah. stop. Because that's us kind of yeah, saying yeah. like, okay, here, now it's real. Now now you guys got to know like, what's, what were we animating? Here's the truth, is sort of the idea. Can I ask, how did you, um, so you had Chris Gethard in the first short film, the 15 minute one that yeah. this film became. Um, how did you get him? Was it just simply a case of asking him? Yeah, 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 he's, he's, he's awesome. So he, he, um, you know, it's Gethard, I'll say. It looks like Gethard, which is really funny. Uh, but he he had talked about and written about Action Park before. Um, he, he had previously written for a publication called Weird New Jersey, which everybody should look into, which is sort of the trailblazers in terms of covering the myth of what Action Park had become. Um, you know, it's it's a really interesting site, just about website and magazine, just about weird stuff in New oh. Jersey, whether it's Action Park or or who knows what else, right? And he had written for that in a past life about Action Park. And so he was somebody who I knew was familiar with. And I think he had spoken about in one of his comedy albums. You know, he had a lot to say about it. And he was just sort of the breakout star of the original short film I did in 2013. And I knew when we kind of came back for the feature, we had to have him back just because he had such an incredible insight into it. And it was really interesting kind of talking to him for both because I could sort of see just like my own perspective on the park had evolved a lot in the past seven years. Uh, you know, the short really was only the first uh, hour of our film in a sense of yes. like this yeah, little yeah. ludicrous, hilarious, weird place. Um, you know, only, and, and so I think the film to some degree was sort of trying to reflect my own emotional journey, which was, I thought this place was absurd and funny. And then I started talking to people who got hurt there and my my attitude shifted very, very, very quickly. And we wanted to kind of create that same experience with viewers of the movie to kind of feel what I had felt, this exuberance, this, this fun, this absurdity, and then kind of be brought back to earth and then look at what you've been laughing about and feel very weird about it. And I think Chris uh, also had somewhat shifted his perspective of it. So when he came in for the interview, it was a very hilarious interview, but also very sobering. Yeah. And he came ready to talk a lot about just the general experience of growing up in New Jersey and how Action Park wasn't this island. It was sort of a reflection of this general apocalyptic, self-destructive world everybody had lived in. I, I remember growing up in the 80s, and I still have this feeling now, when I go on the London Underground, because there was a constant threat of nuclear war that you'd see on the yeah. TV. I still love the idea of being on the London Underground because I always think, well, I'll be safe there. I mean, you're not, but just that idea of growing up with that hanging over your head. And at the end of our street, we had a, um, 
and I don't know if this reflects the area I lived in, but I lived in East London. We had a nuclear bunker at the end of our street. And just the fact that you had that at the time you're growing up, as well as all the numerous wars that were going on. Yeah, it was just, I, I think there's part of it. I think that's quite traumatic looking back of having yeah. that. You know. Yeah, and, and I think one of the reasons the movie hit a nerve of folks like you who are not from New Jersey, who didn't grow up going to Action Park, was because there's something universal, at least for that generation, universal about growing up with a sense of not feeling yeah. safe, you know, uh, kind of hanging over your head. If you didn't grow up, uh, or not being well supervised for that matter. If you didn't grow up going to Action Park, you might've grown up sneaking into abandoned quarries or factories or doing all sorts of other stupid things that were ill-advised and perhaps dangerous, or you just generally felt like uh, I'm gonna die at any moment, which is something unfortunately that a lot of people kind of grow up feeling. And what does that do to you? What what does fun become when you kind of have that feeling? Cause you're still a kid, right? You're still trying to have fun. But when you have this level of almost cynicism that occurs when you feel like I could die at any moment or nothing matters. What does that do to your experience growing up? And what does that do to your, your thrill seeking and fun seeking behaviors that are natural to every young person? Yeah. And I think that's why the movie struck a nerve is I think a lot of people look back at their own childhoods. Maybe they didn't have proper supervision. Maybe they were doing stupid things, dangerous things. Maybe they have friends who got hurt or even killed. And I think they see some of their own childhoods in action. Oh, you hit Matt's nostalgia bone when we recorded the episode. He's yeah. like one of the kids from Stranger Things by the time <laughs> we came on to log on to do this. So, Seth, did you go to Action Park? Were you from Jersey yourself? Yeah. I'm not from Jersey. I'm from uh, the Washington, D.C. Right. area. But I went to Action Park. You know, it's like a five or six hour drive. My dad's from Jersey, so we'd find our way up uh, those parts every once in a while. We grew up going to a bunch of amusement parks, though. So, you know, we went to like Disney World, Universal Studios, Six Flags, all those places. And only went to Action Park a couple times. And I think because of that, because I was super young when I went there, it really implanted itself in my head as this mystery, as a sense. As I got older, I, I had these memories of truly insane things, like a water slide that goes in a loop. Or just the general sense of chaos and violence yeah. and, and disorder that was in the air. As I got older, I had a tough time almost believing my memories <laughs> because it didn't square with like my my notion of what reality is, right? And so one of the big drive, I, you know, because as you get older, you look back and you're like, was that a real memory? Or was that something I saw in The Simpsons? Yeah. Was that real or was that something like I read in a comic book, right? Like it becomes a little fuzzy and difficult. And, uh, and I started looking online about Action Park as I got older and realized there was almost nothing out there in terms of journalism, just like these myths, these legends. And that to me, you know, I was a journalist. I was like, this is, I got to look into this. I got to almost fact check my Especially memories. Especially so comparing really, it to when you yeah. go into Six Flags, Disney World, and you go at these. Well, yeah, especially because when you go to these places very young, it's very difficult for you as a kid to discern what's actually dangerous and what's sort of part of the storyline, right? Like you go into Tower of Terror, they tell you this elevator is going to crash. And as a kid, you're really scared because it feels real. But as an adult, you can say that's fantasy. But when you're really young, you have a hard time telling them apart. So when you go to an amusement park that's actually dangerous, it's really hard for you to tell how that's any different yeah. from one in which the thrill is part of a story, right? And so that's what it becomes, you know, the, the, the dangerous part of the artifice, we say in the movie, for places like Disney World, whereas Action Park, it was real, but as a kid, you can't tell the difference. And I think as we get older now, we look back, we say, that's unbelievable. But as a kid, you just don't even know. And do you have a conversation with your parents now? And do you say to your mom and dad, why on earth would you take your child who who you say you love? I have had love? that exact, exact conversation. I So before this was a film, before this was a short film, I actually gave a lecture on sort of the history of Action Park. And as part of that, I had recorded a phone call with my mom where I asked her, like, what the hell <laughs> and, and, um, and it was really, I, I should find the audio and actually send it to oh, you guys. <laughs> it's probably on my computer somewhere. <laughs> um, but she basically said, she's like, well, you know, it seemed like based on the TV commercials, this great place to bring your family. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. That explains the first time we went. Fool me once. Yeah, because once you get there, like, it's, it, it's no secret what this place is. I mean, as a kid, you can't tell a difference, I say. But still, like, people around you are in real time calling it accident park, traction park, 
class action park. They're pointing at water slides and saying some kid got stuck in that one. Some kid got decapitated on that one. It's all in the air in real time. Ne never mind just like the drunken disorder chaos that's on top of it, or the fact that nobody operating a ride uh, can grow a mustache. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it just becomes like so painfully obvious. I mean, I remember being there as like a six-year-old with my dad and him joking like, oh yeah, they call this place Accident Park. Like, why are we here? <laughs> you know, just, why just are we here? down the Alpine slide. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, and then you go to the top of the Alpine slide and they literally have pictures of like injuries and dismembered bodies as a warning sign. And then you go down. Uh, at that point, they should have them before you go up to the ski lift because, you know, this is New Jersey in the 80s. If you're taking that uh, ski lift oh, back yeah, down, yeah. you're never living that off. You know, that's that's it. That's, you know, you're, you're whatever for the rest of your life at that point. Were there any, yeah. um, were there any staff that you got hold of who used to work there who said, yeah, I'll, I want to be in this documentary. And then you spoke to them and then they went, actually, I, actually, you can't run any of this. I've, I've changed my mind. Because <laughs> it no, triggered that, them in I, some I think, way. It, uh, nobody who spoke to it. I think that's what's so astonishing about this place is how people who grew up going there and working there look back at it simultaneously with fondness and horror, you know, it, and how these feelings coexist. And I think that to us was sort of the great emotional truth that Action Park sort of unveils is this way in which people, particularly people who grew up in this era, can simultaneously look back at their childhoods and say, we did these insane things, these incredible things, these dangerous things. They were awesome. I'm so glad I did that stupid thing. But as I get older, uh, that was kind of messed up and it, it, that shouldn't have been allowed. Um, and, and how those feelings can coexist, where you can simultaneously feel this fondness and gratitude and excitement at the things you did, and also this sense of horror about it. And that's confusing to people. And I think some people wanted the movie to kind of firmly say, this place was good or this place was bad, when that's like saying to somebody, your childhood was good yeah. or your childhood was bad, when it was both. It was both. Oh, there was... Um... Yeah. I'm going to the staff. There's one guy who told the story and exactly what you've said about the, um, you know, the fun to the dark and then the different opinion yeah. evolution of it. But he was telling the story about basically drowning new members of staff. And you can see... <laughs> In the he has, <laughs> It almost seemed like he hadn't told that story for a while and then realised with adult eyes going, yeah, so there's some things we did. We felt bad, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there's things we don't talk about. We don't think about... Like, Let's not let's not talk about you know the grave the grave pool with the death Ugh. zone and the death chair. That's normal. You you guys have a death chair when you're growing up, right? Like that's normal. Um, and there's so much you know this movie people like we could have made uh, an alternate cut of this movie in which there was just totally different stories. You know, everybody has so many stories. There's so much stuff that was in the film that we could just go on for hours about. Like you know, an example being because everybody loves a good action park story. Um, you know, all these rides were on their surface very dangerous, but almost all of them, the employees had figured out ways to make the ride even more extreme and more dangerous. And sometimes they would charge guests extra for the privilege of these more extreme <laughs> ways of enjoying the ride. So uh, the Alpine Slide, they had special carts, uh, the white carts, in which the employees would basically file down the wheel so they would go extra fast. And uh, the employees would use those and they would charge guests like 20 bucks or something to take a more extreme version of the ride down, oh. which is just wild. Oh, cliff dive. There were trees at the top of the cliff dive. And I have photos of employees jumping off the extra 15 foot of the tree over the cliff dive to gain another 10 or 15 but You know, feet. that was, I bet that was mainly men trying to impress girls because because we'll do anything to impress a girl, right? And it's, yeah, I'll jump <laughs> off that. Probably. <laughs> I'll say the photo I saw was of a, a man jumping off the tree. So <laughs> might be right. Um, but there was, I mean, everything had this just like heightened way of riding it. And on its surface, these things were already stupid dangerous. But then, you know, it's like, oh, we'll take the, the racing car. And they're not go-karts. They're racing cars. Like this, they're made by Lola, which made Formula One racing cars. And these things really, if you had a straight, the only thing keeping them from going 90 miles per hour was that the track was curved, right? So then they could take it onto the highway and get these straightaways and, you know, racing cars on the, on the highway. Uh, what could go wrong? Um, and of course, my favorite lines in the movie is where somebody says, uh, the design of the racing cars was flawed because it was right next to the beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
the way the park is drawn up, you've got all the slides in the water park, but I, as you're watching how yes. crazy the slides are, I was like, I can't wait until I get to Motor World. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, some, there's another world. There's another world. Kids in speedboats. Yeah. Let's see what these guys did. And then the battle tanks. I've never heard or seen anything like that. Oh, so we we did a drive-through screening of the film when it came out, and we you know we found a guy who had uh, actual action park ride vehicles. So we brought by to the screening one of the speedboats, one of the racing cars, Ooh. and one of the tanks. And so I got a photo kind of sitting in the tank. And I tell you, man, like you feel the ghost in that thing. <laughs> I was like, this ride, this, this ride just felt so awesome. It's the kind of ride I feel like somebody could do, right? We're just in a freaking battle tank shooting balls. It sounds like yes. fun, right? <laughs> it sounded yeah, yeah. incredible. But like, even when you say someone had these, you don't know if he got them at an auction or if he just drove them down the highway. Oh, there's a story that would take me way too long to go into about how all, like there's a, a bunch of people in New Jersey who have their hands on a bunch of old action park ride vehicles. Well, that's a story for another day. Right, yeah. <laughs> so. oh. And what's great about those, so if you're like a collector and you buy, say, like a Disneyland ride vehicle, like a Space Mountain card, in which there's collectors who collect these things, you can't ride that thing anywhere unless you have Space Mountain, right? Like it's a roller coaster card, it's useless yeah. without the coaster. The action park rides, you can ride them. <laughs> you can take that boat into a pool. You can take the, the speedboat onto wherever, the, the race car. These things are usable without any sort of track. And that's what's so cool about, about those things. You can actually experience the ride. I did like the bloke who said, uh, he went, yeah, we removed the limiters. Of course I took it on the highway. They would get <laughs> like, up to duh. 60 miles <laughs> an hour. As if, yeah. well, why wouldn't you? That was the obvious, yeah. that was the next evolutionary step. It was people like me who suggested we eat oysters. That's how mankind evolved. Because of people <laughs> we, like we, me. <laughs> through trial and error yeah. and, uh, and, and natural selection, <laughs> uh, tr truly. I mean, a lot of these ride ideas were similarly. Like, why wouldn't we try this idea? Let's just see what happens kind of thing and just see what happens. And it, it really was, you know, People look at these things and they look mad many of these rides, but you have to imagine this was in the early days of the water park, the concept of the water park. We didn't know what a water park was. And so a lot of these ride ideas, they look like just early prototype versions of rides you'd find elsewhere, still figuring out the kinks. Yeah, I, of all of them, it's the, uh, it's the alpine slide or the concrete um, slide down under the way. I can, I can yeah. feel... It was actually mostly made of asbestos. asbestos. I can feel stuff. friction burns just looking at that. Every clip of it <laughs> makes me just... Well... And that was not an uncommon occurrence. You know, we say in the film that on a busy weekend, there would be literally hundreds of people injured on just that one ride alone. Um, you know, that, that was the ride that every day, day in and day out, which is injuring people. I mean, this wasn't in the film, but, uh, you know, the film director, uh, Judd Apatow, tweeted that the screaming he had Steve Carell produce in the movie Four-Year-Old Virgin when he gets his chest waxed yeah. in that famous scene was inspired by the screaming he heard coming from the Alpine slide <laughs> uh, when people were getting sprayed at Action Park. And so I found that amazing. Um, I met uh, a senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, and he tweets about Action Park on occasion because he grew up going there. And I mentioned to him and he just list starts lifting up his pant leg and showing me his scars <laughs> on the Alpine slide. It was, it, it was something where it's, it's not, it was a, a rather significant percentage of people who went to Action Park not only have, but will with a smile show you their Alpine slide scars to this day. Uh, it's incredible. I've got one or two nerdy questions for you. I'm not sure how long I've got you for. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whatever you want, man. Happy one of the things they talk about in the area that is, they, they refer to the, the Playboy Bunny Club and the McAfee. Is yes. that the John McAfee Ranch when he was on his first terror? No, 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 no. So McAfee was the name of sort of a Right, town. right. Uh, that's all it was. Uh, so nothing to do with John McAfee. I was going to say, just to so put Playboy all that crazy in one yeah. area. Yeah, the Playboy Club, uh, it was right next to the park. And I think for a while, they were going to build like a monorail that would connect it to. I don't think that ever got built. Um, but it's kind of amazing because they threw this Playboy Club. You know, this was just a small town that suddenly had all this interest from developers wanting to turn it into like in Orlando or Las Vegas. So they built a Playboy Club. Uh, if you watch the movie, the Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder movie, uh, See No Evil, Hear oh, yeah, No yeah. Evil, uh, a lot of it is filmed at that Playboy Club. Right. Um, so, yeah, you can see the structure there. But it's just kind of taking the small town New Jersey and then, you know, what job do you have for the summer? You either work at Action Park or you're a Playboy bunny. You know, it's just like what it was. Just kind of thrown in the middle there. Oh, man, that's, yeah, yeah that's good. I was going to say, I, I literally just watched Gringo the other day. So I did that name the minute I reheard it. Just thought, is that all right? So 
Yeah. Um, in regards to, so we get this on Sky over here. And is yes. HBO its own streaming service or is it part of a cable package over your, your way? So, so in the U.S., HBO both exists as a, st- a streaming service and as a cable channel, but our movie was released on HBO Max, which is sort of the streaming service. Right. So it was just on the streaming service. Uh, and I, I'm actually very curious. I haven't seen how it's been shown on Sky, but the runtime appears to be a couple minutes uh, shorter. So I'm very curious if due to maybe legal reasons or whatever else, a couple things were trimmed. I don't actually don't know. I'd be very curious what you guys are missing out. So maybe try to find the U.S. version. All right, yeah. Oh, it's an extra cut. Oh, so, brilliant. All right. Uh, I was... <laughs> Director Scott. So yeah. does, is that is that literally... Because HBO has got a lot of... Uh, as, as I imagine, there's a lot of street cred because all the great American shows that come over here are all HBO. Yeah. So yeah. when you got that logo, that's like a stamp of approval over here. But is there a chance that that will I end up so. elsewhere? Or is it just... Is that with HBO on there for time? Is there a licensing? In the... No, in the U.S., it's 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 home is HBO Max. Uh, you know, there's a chance that at some point they could decide to license it out or show right. it somewhere else or whatnot. But uh, but I'm but it's great because you know it's a streaming service that anybody can get their hands on, and if they don't want to subscribe, there's a free trial. So watch our movie. <laughs> <laughs> and when you were so when you were making the film, when you have those you must get moments of doubt as a person who creates stuff. Even as a journalist, you must be writing sometimes going, is this, am I, is this good? When, when you're doing this during this documentary, how did you overcome those moments of doubt? Oh, I know yeah, you co-directed hardest... it, but did, did you keep yeah. picking one another up? Cause I have incredible doubts and Rick's always like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> right. And he's always, he is literally carrying me half the time. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. It's okay. I'm like, really? Well, well, the hardest thing about making a movie, I think, is uh, just the number of times you have to watch it and you kind of get lost about like what's interesting, what's what's emotionally resonant, what's whatever. Because by the time you watch a movie 400 times, uh, it's hard to see, it's hard to almost envision how yeah. somebody watching it for the first time is going to experience it. And what do you keep? What actually hits hard? What's impactful? What's funny? All of those things become muted after you watch a film 400 times. Things are less funny. Things are less emotionally impactful. They just are. Um, and so, you know, the doubt, I think, comes from this idea of like, I think this is funny, but maybe I, are other people going to? Or I've seen this so many times, it's hard to tell. Uh, but, you know, you take moments, you take breaks, and you come back to it just to make sure it's fresh and everything like that. But, yeah, I think we all, and also we did a couple things in this film that are not standard, maybe even a little risky um, in terms of sort of the journey we take people on. And we kind of tried to embed in our film a number of themes and emotions that it was no guarantee would resonate with people or that people would understand or see. And so the fact that the film um, struck a nerve with people in a positive way and hit home uh, was really reassuring, but was by no means a short thing. You know, you never know for sure. I think with the movie, since it is very much like the action part is so much of a time, it's almost great, but a shame that it was the time before camera phones. Yeah. I mean, we found a lot of good footage considering the fact that it was not just before camera phones, but it's a water park. Yeah. So like taking electronics this thing so is a dicey. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Like where are you going to put that thing? And everything got stolen. Oh, one of the things that's not in the film is how the employees in order to, they were paid like minimum wage, like nothing like back then, like $3 an hour, right. In order to make up for the low pay, um, many of the supervisors, meaning like the 16-year-old kids, <laughs> would, um, would effectively train the new employees on how to steal items from the cubbies when people were in rides as a way of augmenting low pay. So how to get your gold chain, Brilliant. Wallet, the Air Jordan sneakers, all of those things. So theft was a big problem at the park. A lot of it was from employees who were just like, "How we get paid $3 an hour. What do you expect us to do? You know? Yeah. I've got quite a serious question. So how yeah. how did you get the family of George Larson involved? Because I think they were pivotal to the telling pivotal. of the story and to bring out that the honest nature of it. Yes. They were important for us to kind of move on from the urban legend, mm. the, uh, the cartoon veneer to the truth and the human toll and understanding the, the duality of both action market and also growing up in general. Uh, it's really as simple as we reached out to them. Um, we we uh, had kind of done some investigating to try to find where they were. And we found that they had a roofing company. And we basically just sent, in Florida, we basically just sent an email to their website of their company. And we got a phone call maybe 20 minutes later 
from uh, George Larson saying that not only do they have things they need to say, but that in the 39 years since the accident had occurred, nobody had once bothered to ask them or to reach out to them. Right. And that was astonishing to me considering how much had been written about Action Park, how much had been said about Action Park, and how much of it was really going off of the legend that um, was sort of, let's just say, you know, the, uh, the victors oftentimes write the histories of yeah. things, right? And um, and we found it very, very important to talk to them and understand what happened to them specifically, but then also how was this incident made to go away? How was it covered up? How were they treated? How did this happen? And how does that differ from sort of what's out there in the milieu and the culture and everything? And I realized, we realized that a lot of what had been said about this instance, which had been, you know, talked about quite a bit in many of the histories of Action Park, was not only not true, but that I myself had gone it wrong before. I yes. had sort of just taken what I had seen about this and repeated it and realizing that I myself was sort of complicit in, in sort of spreading these untruths. And I felt this a really important opportunity to sort of undo it because the journey the movie takes you on is again, my own personal journey from seeing this as this wacky, funny, hilarious place to also being a place of immense tragedy and heartache. I think you absolutely nailed that. Like if, especially yeah. from well, literally you. just what yeah. happened to rewatch it today. And since, if we do have to go back and do another one, it's, I can't imagine when you have to edit a movie how many times to rewatch this. This would have been the third time that I've section. seen it. Like I do, yeah. I do think, uh, yeah, that journey comes across fantastically well. Yeah, and I say when I rewatch the movie, I'll oftentimes skip over that particularly hard section because even now I just feel my like soul gets sucked out of my body. Like it just, it's so like the the pain, and this isn't you know my doing. It's what Esther Larson and Brian Larson brought to the table, like their emotions are so palpable. And, you know, being in a room with them uh, when they, when we had that interview, uh, it was, it was one of the most intense emotional experiences I'd ever had in my life. And I just knew that if like 1% of that kind of came through on camera, people were going to feel oh, without, They were so um, honest. Yeah. They were so yeah. honest with sharing their pain. Yeah. And his brother was George's brother as well. It, it it was genuinely moving. You know, four minutes beforehand, I had mm -hmm. to press pause because I was laughing so much. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm on this huge high and you've dragged me down into the pit of despair. And as I said, we I, can't, and yeah. I keep going back to it, that, the, the roller coaster of actually being on this documentary. It was beautiful the way you played with the emotions. It really was. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, if you take an elevator to the top floor, the the fall is much harder. Yes. Is, what, is, much, yeah. is what we found. Uh, but also, what you you know you mentioned, like just a couple minutes, people kind of. It's interesting because people say it's like it's a sudden kind of like pin drop change in tone. But if you actually watch the movie, it's not. Uh, for the couple minutes prior to that, we say things that are I think categorically dark and uh, and disturbing, but you're still laughing at it because you're. But the laughter you have is a. Uh, should I be laughing yeah. for a couple minutes? You start to question your own laughter. And I think if you watch it with multiple people, it'll be really interesting because I bet some people say it's a theater and people have never seen it before. Unfortunately, due to the, the pandemic, we really haven't had this experience, but I imagine some people would be laughing and others will have stopped laughing. And at different points, the laughter sort of peters out. And then you get to that moment where you realize the laughter is over. But people, you know, we start talking about the grave pool. Some people might laugh at that. Some people might find that horrific. We start talking about the kayak experience uh, and in this way where it kind of feels like that's a, are they joking about it? Like yeah. you're not sure what's going on. And then we get to that moment where you realize, oh, oh, oh. And it kind of happens, I think, at a slightly different place for different viewers. Yeah, I agree with that. But watching it again this morning, the, the beginning two minutes, you set your stall out and go, this place was a bit fucked up. Yeah. The whole, the this whole was really dangerous. And then it gets into the comedy. Yes. But you do say in the beginning, we tell you, there's some shit coming. You better prepare. We yourself. tell you everything you're going to experience in the yeah. opening scene of the movie. I mean, it ends with the line from Mr. Larson saying like, it was a place where death was tolerated, where a place where death was run right into numbers. And that I think line, you know, was obviously written before the pandemic, but I think it's one that resonates a lot now when people kind of say like, how much death do we tolerate for what? And I think, a yeah. lot of uh, the reason, I mean, serendipitously, the movie kind of came out in this state, in this climate, in this world right now is because the questions it grapples with are ones we're all grappling with, which is where do we sort of draw the line between this idea of freedom and fun versus responsibility and safety? And it never has that question been more, I think, paramount than the past year. Oh, and, God, yeah. and exactly. And so the idea is like, what, what do we tolerate at what cost? 
and um, and realizing that's not something else specific to then or now, but it's sort of an ongoing debate that we ourselves have as people as society. That the world has become a class action party. I mean, you're not the first person to say that. You know, I mean, it's like one of the jokes I had was, uh, you know, you know, and, and sometimes when movies come out in other countries, they'll rename it, they give it a title that might like make more sense to a local audience. Uh, you know, and I was joking that when they release it in other countries, it's just called America Park. Uh, and I think that tells you <laughs> everything you need to know about what this movie is. <laughs> so, alternate title would have been America Park. What, what were there any stories that just didn't make the cut? Millions. But then you were like, I'd, I've got, I'd love to put this in, but I just can't. Oh, so many. And if you can't talk about it, can you just talk about it on here? We can cut this. No, I mean, I, there's not, I'm not precious about anything, you know, like, I, I mean, I will tell you anything you want to know. Um, we could talk for hours just going through stories. Okay. So here's, um, okay. So here's, a, I think, a story that gives you a really solid sense of who Gene was as a, as a leader, as a manager, and as a member of his community. Um, at one point, connected to the uh, parking lot for the park, there was a restaurant that was kind of a mom and pop operation, like a locally owned restaurant. And you could access it by walking through a gate from the parking lot, right? So you could park at Action Mart, grab a bite, then go to the park. All right. Well, that restaurant was closing down and McDonald's wanted to take over the space and open up a McDonald's. Gene did not want McDonald's open there. He didn't want this company moving in and eating into their concession sales, right? So they have a meeting at the town uh, planning board or town council to evaluate the McDonald's proposal. And Gene sends his sort of attack dog director of operations to speak on his behalf about why McDonald's should not be allowed to open. And here's what he says. He says, here's what's going to happen if you allow McDonald's to open. That gate that allows people to safely walk from our parking lot to the restaurant, we're going to close that gate. In order to access it, people are going to have to walk on 94, meaning the highway that runs through the middle of the park, <laughs> uh, on the shoulder of the road, in ski boots, because remember, it's a ski resort, in ski boots, in the winter, on icy conditions. They will slip, they will fall, and they will die, and the blood will be on your hands if you allow McDonald's to open. And the town <laughs> did not allow McDonald's to open. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how he exercised power. And I think the movie becomes, to some degree, a really interesting just story about how people consolidate and exercise power and how they make bad news go away, which is something, again, I think we all kind of think about now is how do powerful people yeah. get away with certain things? How do they make bad news go away? How do they steamroll through whatever uh, meager guardrails we might have as a society to kind of keep things from happening? Um, another story, so we referenced very briefly in the film from one of the security guards talking about how he had heard that Gene kept a machine gun in his desk. Well, the full story, which he didn't have time to include, was that he had heard Gene had a machine gun in his desk and he and a buddy broke into Gene's office in order to find the machine gun and play with it and like shoot up cans and shoot some trees for fun. The idea being that if Gene discovered it was missing or had been used, he wouldn't be able to report it because it was an illegal gun, right? Machine gun. Well, when he got to Gene's office and looked, the gun was missing. What I didn't discover until after the movie came out speaking to another former employee is why the gun was missing. Turns out this, <laughs> this other employee had heard the same story and had the exact same idea and just a couple weeks prior had broken into Gene's office, found his machine gun, uh, shot a bunch of cans and trees, exact same thing, <laughs> and that one of his buddies had walked off with the gun. And that's why when this other guy came looking for Gene's gun, it was not there. Oh, another thing about Gene's office, um, he apparently had a button that was like a panic button that nobody knew where it went to. It did not go to the local police. But he had a button at his desk that he would press in the emergency. <laughs> and to this day, nobody I speak to knows where that button went. <laughs> so quite the character. A good idea. Just a button. Yeah, just don't, a, don't make me press the button. <laughs> there's nothing scarier than just a man at a desk yeah. pressing a button, I'll tell you. Um, oh, here's another fun story. Uh, so there, there was a a bungee tower at the park. I don't know if the story I'm about to tell you is how that bungee tower got there, but it relates to a bungee tower. Gene had, um, you know, business partners and all sorts of ventures. And one of them was uh, sort of on the Jersey shore. They had some bungee towers on some of these beachside towns. And he had been on the outs with one of his business partners on a bungee tower. And uh, maybe the guy owed him money, something like that. And so in the dead of night, Gene had some employees drive a van to that bungee tower, a truck, dismantle the entire bungee tower and steal the entire bungee <laughs> tower. And I'm pretty sure the bungee tower at Action Park was this bungee tower that these guys stole in the middle of the night. <laughs> Who steals a bungee tower? <laughs> 
So, and that's not in the film. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. So. This, this Gene character is, I mean, again, we, again, it's so lovable, the roguish stuff you do. You almost go, Gene character, go, oh, wait, yeah, remember what? Yeah, yeah. And I think he wasn't a good was. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had uh, interesting priorities, you know, that I don't think agree with everybody else's. Um, is there anyone that you wish you did get for the Doctor you didn't? Because one name that comes up a lot, and I, I don't know what he would have had to tell was uh, Bob Brennan is a big uh, factor or a part of Gene. Yeah, I mean, he he wasn't so involved with the day-to-day of the park. He was sort of the shadowy money man behind the scenes in a lot of things. And he's somebody, you know, he was in prison for a number of years. For He was a, a big penny stock guy, very mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, he was in jail much longer than a guy, Jordan, from Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, he just isn't, you know, writing books about his experiences and kind of selling his movie rights and all that kind of stuff. But he was... This like um, he was on the cover of like Forbes magazine, like a big larger than life financial guy who had his first job was working for Gene, and they became friends and were involved with all sorts of shady uh, business dealings. Um, one of the newspapers we show in the film, the lawyers made it black it out uh, this particular detail, but you might see that in one point Gene uh, threatened somebody with a Russian hitman. Uh, and that showed up for half a second in one of the newspaper clips, unless that was taken out in the UK version. I can't say for sure. Uh, but what was blacked out was that Gene specifically said that if this guy uh, asks too many questions, he's going to get Bob Brennan to find a Russian hitman to take this guy out. Uh, and that was in 2012, I'll say. <laughs> that was late in the game. Wow. That was not uh, in the 80s. Wild story. Bloody hell. Yeah, bloody hell. I mean, exactly. That's, that's the experience. Like, I'm laughing, but what the hell? <laughs> you know, at the same time. Yeah. So I know you so you got the film made yourself. Yeah. Um, so did you go out there? How did you raise the funds for that? So my, my friend, Chris Charles Scott, who's my co-director and collaborator yeah. in the project, uh, you know, he and I figured out a way to make the film for very cheap without going into too many details. We didn't, we didn't raise any funds. We just made it ourselves. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So you, you self-funded the Correct. lot and... You, you took a punt on it, basically. Yeah, and, you know, oftentimes it doesn't work out very well for people, so we're very grateful uh, <laughs> that we ended up with a, a film people wanted to see. Because, <laughs> you know... Are, are you surprised at the, at the success that it's made? I mean, because we have to believe in the stuff we create, but are you surprised at how well people are... I mean, just embracing your creation? Yeah, I mean, we have to be, right? Like, I mean, there's, like, part of us hopes and dreams and praise... And, and, and takes these risks because of the outside opportunity or chance that it would happen. But I don't think in our wildest dreams we imagined it would uh, reach so many people and strike so many people in this very strong emotional way. And that's what we're grateful of. Not just, you know, just to have a movie out there that people can see would have been enough. You know, would have been the most satisfying and fulfilling thing that could happen to me in my lifetime. But to have it also mean something to people, to have our emotions, which are laid very raw in the film on screen, uh, hit home with people in a way where the movie seems to mean something to people that to me uh is is just you know it's a project of a life and it's a dream and it's more than i ever could have imagined uh, i thought you smashed it out of the park with it without, you, appreciate it. Pardon, pardon the poor british pun there but um what was i going to say is there anything else you got in the pipeline like is it, are you going are you making more is or is this just something near to your heart and you went we can do this as opposed no, I'm to making going, more. i've got a bunch of stuff going you know i can't can't unfortunately talk about things that aren't yet announced whatever else but you know keep your eyes out i'll have uh i'm working on my next pro my next movie i'm directing um, what I will say to be very much a tease is that, you know, if Action Park was my 80s movie, uh, like my Goonies or Stand By Me, this is my 90s movie. Uh, so oh, think right. about everything from like Point Break and Heat to Reality Bites, kind of like leaning into very much an, a 90s story and a 90s aesthetic. Oh, man. Look, I, I love Point Break. Point Break was what led me to become a skydiver. So awesome. uh, Yeah, that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that changed my life. That yeah, it was that or become a policeman after watching Die Hard. So it's just easier to become a skydiver. Well, skydiving yeah. is as exciting as you think it will be in a movie. Being a policeman probably is not. I'll say. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know it looked like um, an easy job for the guy just sat in the car, just radioing in, going, "Damn it, McLean!" Insurance company's going bankrupt. Family matters. Damn it, McLean! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. But um, yeah, so um, we won't keep you too much longer. But uh, as a daft one for us, uh, is there three documentaries you'd recommend people check out? Obviously not including. Yeah, Class I'll give Park. you. I'll give. I'll give one in the past year that really I loved. That I loved. That I don't want people to read anything about before they watch it. Uh, but it's called uh, "Bloody Noses, Empty Pockets." Have you guys heard of this film? 
No, no. no. Oh, if, I'll put all of this in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, so this film I just loved. It was the premise of it. Don't read anything beyond the bit. You can understand the basic premise, but don't read anything else about the making or anything. Was uh, filmed over 24 hours in a dive bar in Las Vegas the last night it would be open because uh, bars in Vegas can be open 24 hours. So a 24-hour period, what happens in a bar in like a you know crummy dive filled with all sorts of elements of humanity sort of the oh. it's there and it's just a really and right now where i think a lot of people are very much missing the experience of say being in a bar and, and mingling with people who are strangers and weirdos and wackies whatever else it was it's a kind of movie that in the future i would just want to put on and have in the background and kind of feel like i'm at a bar right bloody noses empty pockets yeah everybody should watch this movie pockets I, I just, want to watch that tonight, though. I'm so impatient. I would yeah. liken that answer too. If you would ask, like, so a top musician, who your favorite artist is, he's not going to go the the A one category. Who no, here's knows. one you should. Here's one you should check out. Is what yeah, here's is. one you should. Who no, that is fucking. I'm looking forward to checking that. Absolutely. Out. Thank you very much yeah, for that I don't think I, it would play at Sundance last year. I don't think um, as many people saw it as uh, it is due. I think it's a movie that I think hopefully a lot of people will really love. Uh, it's not for everybody it's like you know you're filming in a bar like there's points where but it feels very slice of life even the sense like i can't really hear what that person's saying but i think it's an interesting you know you're at a bar you hear every fourth word it kind of feels like that sometimes you know it's very much like the experience of being in this place all right well i'm looking forward to checking that one but listen um unless you've got any more questions or anything you'd like to see because listen we just don't want to take up too much no i love it man happy to come back sometime in the future i i I tell you guys i I listen to i've i've listened to a number of podcasts talking about class action park and yours was the one i just like i was like oh my god this is so this is awesome like you know especially because since it came out in the uk hearing um people apply britishisms to this movie has been so much fun People calling it mental or crackers or whatever you guys want to call it. Because you can use so many words uh, as synonyms for mad that uh, we don't have in the States. And hearing every one of them applied to this movie has been a, a lot of fun. So thank you very much. It really much. was great fun. Yeah. And thanks for reaching out. I'm, I'm just curious. What grabbed your attention about my tweet? Where you? Where did you tweet, man? Oh, hang on. No, <laughs> no but, but, but you must you must see a lot of tweets no, about your. Um, uh, I, I, I just what, I like and, to... and this is purely as from a selfish marketing yeah, point of view. No, it, was, it, it wasn't the tweet. It was listening to the podcast and how much fun you guys were having. Um, it was just like you guys were having so much fun. I was like. Wow, they're having so much fun. I would love to talk about my movie with people who are having fun. Especially because like a lot of the communal experience about talking about film has uh, not been there this year, you know? Like, and so I I'm yeah. you know, I'm I I'm I'm you know, I, I maybe some people are very like, oh, I gotta talk about this movie again. But Action Park is such a fun subject and such a fun top topic to talk about, even for me after years of studying it and working on it and producing this film i'm still not sick of the topic and so you guys just seemed like a really fun crew to talk about it with yeah thanks Seth. <laughs> thanks for coming on that really genuinely was anytime man. that was a pleasure and you've raised my household iq just by being here by at yeah. least 50 percent. so thanks <laughs> <laughs> well awesome well happy to be here guys and thanks for thanks for everything appreciate All right, it good luck man take it easy cheers sir ta-da Oh, oh, oh.